Welcome back to Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Today we're covering a bird that has been a bit of a viral sensation online, the shoebill. This African bird has a uniquely large bill and is really unlike any other bird in the world. John has actually seen them in the wild before, and John and Shannon have a number of them in their collection at the Field Museum. They're so cool, and also kind of spooky. If you haven't picked out a Halloween costume yet, you may decide to be a shoebill after hearing this episode. Okay, let's go get our binoculars, and let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. So to continue with our uh, our Halloween theme, so far this month, we're talking about another spooky bird. <laughs> or at least I think it's spooky. <laughs> Shannon suggested this one, the shoebill, and we're really excited to, to hear more about it. It's one of my favorite birds because it always inspires what? <laughs> and people think it's a prehistoric um, bird. This thing is very tall, three and a half feet tall to taller, four and a half feet tall. And it it has the weirdest beak of uh, one of the most unique beaks of birds outside of maybe flamingos. And they move really interestingly. They're just so, so incredibly cool. And they specialize on lungfish, which is kind of weird, too. So there are amazing videos of them that you can see online hunting lungfish. Have you seen the one in the wild, John? Yep. In really? Wabamba Swamp in uh, Lake Victoria in Uganda. Wow. And, uh, yeah, no, they're, then they're as impressive alive as you'd think and and uh you know the scientific name is balaniceps rex which i i love because it it basically whale head and then the word rex which is clearly indicative of sort of kings and the fact that it's so impressive and it's you know evolutionarily it's a incredibly interesting bird they're they're native to to these upper reaches of the nile river valley and the upper Zambezi River Valley. And so then if you look at the maps, the distributions will look like it's a fairly broad spread across uh, um, eastern Africa. Um, but they're very localized because these swamps are really localized. And uh, so their populations are not particularly large. There's a lot of concern about them from a conservation standpoint just because these swamps get drained for architecture. They're for fairly common in zoos, though. Um, they are. Many zoos have them. We have 12 specimens in our collections of them, and uh, several of them are actually from zoos. And one of the other reasons why I love this bird, well, there's a couple of them, but they have a tortured taxonomic past. Nobody knew, no, they've been put in different orders of birds with different families of birds um, because a shoebill is so unique, it just looks like itself. Oh, wow. Yeah. It doesn't really look like other things. And so it's been with storks. It's been with herons. It's been all over the non-songbird tree of life. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out we have have DNA of one that we put into a study that we published quite a few years ago now that showed that it is, its closest living relatives are um, pelicans and uh-huh. hammercops, which is another weird bird. What's a hammercop? So that's a small heron-like bird with a bill that, unlike the shoebill, which is big and wide and, and deep, 
Hammer Cop is wide at the top, but it's very narrow. So it's oh. got a very, it's a, just like Chew Bill, it's got a very unique uh, uh, bill shape. And they live in the same parts of Africa, although they're much more widespread. And they're frog specialists. Okay. And so, again, these are related, but the, you know, as Shannon was saying, I mean, the tortured history of these birds is that nobody expected them to actually be related to the pelicans, although there was a morphological study done by our postdoc, your postdoc advisor, Joel Craycraft at the American Museum of Natural History, who looked at morphology and got some data set together and said, I think they're most closely related to pelicans. Mm -hmm. And everybody laughed at him pretty much. Yeah, I mean, so they're more closely related uh, to pelicans than pelicans are to other things in the pelicaniformes. Wow. So, Yeah, so all that. You know, so that's a really unique bird nested within another group of birds, which once we start getting data, happens pretty frequently in looking at the bird tree of life. But... So when you find out something that that's that cool, you're like, wow, that's that's something. Yeah, you know? and and at least hammer cops and shoebills are, again, co-occurring in in large parts of Africa, and and so that makes sense. But they're clearly been evolving separately for a long period of time, and and have developed these really interesting morphological bill shapes that allow them to do what they do. And as mm-hmm. Shannon's saying, they these shoebills. Uh, live in these swamps that tend to be fairly shallow. Um, they like to forage in low oxygen water areas, which is where these lungfish are. And that bill has got a tip on it. It's one of the it's one of the birds people enjoy most seeing when they come to our collection and, and we show them one because I think most people have no idea it exists. Oh yeah. yeah. And so it, it definitely makes an impression. But but they're they're just they're really well adapted for for what they do, and they stand still for super long periods of time, um, which, they, and even their flapping of their wings is really slow when you when you see video of them. So everything about them is kind of quirky and <laughs> unique and yeah. just fascinating. It, they terrorize people. Must think of them as kind of the scariest of birds if you were to. Because when they do move, they mean it. Okay. They mean business. And that um, that hook on the end of their, that nail on the end of their bill is pretty scary. Mm. And if you see them grab a lungfish, you're like, God, it's a good thing I'm not a lungfish. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> that They're very efficient <laughs> when it comes to that um, yeah, stuff. That bill is so so big it's like disproportionate like i feel like when you see it you can't believe that the rest of the body is like yeah. attached i think to if this you thing. saw it though um in life standing up you the whole bird is so big i, okay. I think you might not be so bowled over in that way okay. by the size of the beak but it looks you know when it when you see those pictures of it face on it yeah. looks absolutely and utterly menacing yeah. it does it does yeah and i'd say you know from an evolutionary sense one of the most like gee whiz moments for me when it came out that it was a pelican is to say, yeah, pelicans have pretty weird bills too and pretty big bills and pretty, you know, modified bills. And so it's definitely, you can see the potential connectivity and the shape of those bills um, from an evolutionary standpoint. I mean, they're very, 
pelicans have these big pouches that are that are soft so that they can get water and fish in there whereas the shoebill is all hard but that's all about the prey items that they're eating and the way they're eating them hmm. yeah. i'd love to see you shared that um image of the roseate spoonbill skull next to the heron skull and just seeing the way that the bill and the skull is all connected i'd love to see what the shoebill looks like just seeing that like all is one yeah i mean yeah i don't there do you think there's a skeleton so I was trying to remember that. I think the answer is yes, with the one caveat is that it's probably a zoo bird. And that means that the skull's a little bit uh, cut up in order to, to do the necropsy once the bird dies before it comes to the museum. Yeah, there's lots of really cool things about how beaks articulate into into the skulls across birds. You know, how much movement there is, what those articulations look like. There's fascinating and then what beaks look like under the keratinized outer sheath is really interesting too there's at least in kingfishers there's more variation under than than over mm. so you're if you're just looking and measuring the outside of the beak you're missing a lot of variability that happens under in the bone part okay. of the beak so there's yeah, lots of, of really cool things one of the things i always think about with fish eating birds is that we tend to focus on the bill, which makes perfect sense. But these things also have to get these fish swallowed. And sometimes those things have a lot of bones and spikes on them. And, and the idea that you could potentially, say, swallow something tail first uh. probably means you're going to be in big trouble if you're a, a shoebill or, mm. or, or a heron. Or a heron, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. yeah. So I, 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 I'm always interested in some of that. Hmm. Hmm. I have a I have a kind of dumb question. What's the difference between a bill and a beak? Oh, good one. <laughs> oh, that's a good None. Question. None. Okay. Okay. Some I people like... will tell you one's more correct than the other. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I like have been so uh, like when we talk about a shoe bill, I'm like, all right, I'm going to talk about the bill and not call it a beak. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think there's a difference. Nope. So. I think okay. I think, yeah. I think okay. either one is good. Yeah. Okay. okay. I mean, scientists ought not be so pedantic yeah right <laughs> but mm, whatever <laughs> there's sometimes when it matters but that's not a time okay beak okay. or bill that's not a time where it matters okay good yeah. so i think an, another thing about shoebills that i find interesting is that they nest on floating vegetation or on islands and there are lots of other wading birds that do that but a whole bunch of others like herons have gone to these nesting in trees where they'll have these rookeries and things. And so I think a lot of that speaks to the fact that this these areas where Chewbill lives have been historically massive swamps without very many uh, trees in them. And so, so the way they protect their eggs from predators and things is to try to use the water around them to, to keep things from coming in. And, Interesting. Huh. Amanda, didn't you read some folklore about Yeah, Shubil? just that um that they're supposed to be like like a if a fisherman sees one, it's like a bad omen or like bad luck. And I do either of you know anything about that? Yeah, those were fishermen that didn't catch anything. Okay. <laughs> that's that's what I always say. It's like f fishermen are usually <laughs> superstitious, but, but it usually has to do with And my exact reaction would be opposite 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, there's I th- that's a whole nother thing you know you can absolutely imagine why there would be superstitions surrounding this bird because of how memorable it is just yeah. to see it yeah. and i think that's true across birds too so when when you brought that up i was thinking there's a legend about these potus which are these night jars from south america and you know if they start calling around your house someone's going to die and 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 again I'm guessing that's probably happened before, oh. and yet I don't think Potus have any indi- <laughs> really imply that at all. And, <laughs> no, but but yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the other thing with fishermen is is that they're often worried that somebody's caught all the fish, oh. and so maybe that was a situation too where where. The interesting thing about shoebills is they they tend to be fairly solitary, so they're not around in big groups. But certainly with things like cormorants, fishermen in the Midwest are actually very worried about whether or not they're depleting the fish populations in some of their favorite lakes as Mm. a result of their population numbers going up. John, when when you saw a shoebill in the wild, were you going specifically to look for that, or were you did you happen to be there and happen to see one? So. Kind of both. I mean, I was there to do research, and we had some extra time in Kampala, Uganda, which is the capital. And there was a, a, a guy who led local bird tours, and he said, you know, we could go down to Mabamba Swamp and see Shoebill. And I said, let's go. Oh, yeah. And it was just, it was an amazing morning. And we saw, I think we saw five or six that morning, you know, you know, just just going out in a couple little boats with, with some other folks. And uh, that's a standard place for lots of people to go. Wow. Yeah. One of my favorite stories about museum supporters was a couple that I'd gotten to know through various events and and, uh, liked a lot. And one day I get an email from the the wife of the couple and she goes, John, we just saw Shoebill in Uganda. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, these folks are just clearly not your typical People just running around, they're willing to go to Uganda and see yeah. shoebills, and, yeah. and I've always they're admired They're not just glamping. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, yeah, that's It's not something that people typically do when they get to Uganda. Oh, that right. That's awesome. Wow. That's really cool. Well, should we get into uh, a mailbag question before we call it on this one? Sure. So this is from Rex in Streeterville, Chicago. Rex. I like that. Rex, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Speaking <Yeah>. of Rex. <laughs> He said, I really am enjoying each episode and keep learning more and more about birds that are new to me, as well as learning more about birds that are common. I've never gone birding, though, and I'm curious what advice you have to get started. Just 15 minutes ago, I saw out my window, not sure if it was a tanager, but it was a small bird with yellow under its wings. Would love to learn how to get better at identifying. Yeah, you have to start. Yeah. I mean... You guys started and it got social for you. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, the social part is really important. Mm-hmm. But a lot of young bird people, they do do things alone a lot. And I think there's a big problem with bird people being judgmental. And so that makes you afraid to say things because you might be wrong and probably are wrong a lot. So you have to be a little bit fearless. Um, and you have to ask when you don't know what it is. And there are lots of tools that can help you. But the, they're not going to help you inside your house. 
well, they will, but not the same way. You need to go outside. Mm -hmm. Eventually, you'll see birds, and and once you identify them and see them over and over, they'll be in your memory banks, and then you can devote your the rest of your memory to your brain to learning new ones, mm -hmm. and and then it become it can become inspiring, competitive, uh, challenging. That's the interesting thing because the more you watch, you'll get better at knowing what part of the bird guide to go to. Because at first you're like, okay, well, there's 600 pages in this book. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll never be able to figure any of this out. There's mm -hmm. how many little brown birds are there? Or <laughs> looks like there are hundreds. Mm -hmm. But eventually you just get better. So you get better at noticing what features it has. What kind of beak does it have? What kind of feet does it have? That'll give you clues into what it does. Uh, and that's really fun too, looking at birds to, and interpreting what they do, not just being able to identify them, but to look at them and say, oh, this thing climbs trees because it has a stiffened tail. This thing eats fish because look at its dagger-like beak. This thing eats seeds. It has very thick... Um, beaks. And so once you do that, you'll know where to go in the book. And once you've narrowed it down from, you know, 600 species to 20, you'll, you'll be able to figure it out most of the time. Mm -hmm. And then if you learn vocalizations, then it becomes really challenging because you don't need to see the bird to know that it's there. And there are lots of apps that will help you. Um, you can take pictures of what you see and ask an app to tell you <laughs> what is it, what do you yeah. think it is, and you can use things like Merlin to help you with that and to help you identify the sounds that you hear. Mm -hmm. I use that. I use Merlin all the time because I cannot remember for the life of me bird songs. I, so I'm what impossible. would you guys say is the key things that that you gravitate to when you when you think about trying to identify something. Yeah, I, I was Sh Shannon just blew my mind that you still <laughs> that you use the Merlin app because to me that's the biggest thing. Yeah, I have a hard yeah. time with with calls. I um, yeah. I mean, I, lately I've been paying attention to like flight pattern, which is something that I never paid attention mm -hmm. to before. Like even just yesterday when we saw all the warblers, I was noticing the way that they kind of like do this little yeah, like kind of up and down. Yeah, see, your brain is freed up enough yeah. to notice other things yeah, so if you I do never... it enough that's what happens and then you get hooked on the challenge of figuring out what something is or the challenge of interpreting what it does by what you see mm -hmm. and then it yeah you start to notice one thing and that turns into another and then you can kind of identify things differently yeah. Yeah. and then you should go into the museum into the bird halls and see all of the birds of the world in there and then your mind will be even more blown and you will you know, have a much better appreciation for going outside when you go other places. Birds are everywhere. Yeah. Well, and, you, and, yeah. And, yeah, and as you guys know, I mean, when you go traveling, there are going to be new birds. Yeah, right? Right. yeah. Farther afield you go, the there are more and different ones. Yes, you know? yeah. And I think this is an obvious one, but like binoculars make such a difference like right. we would look at birds in our yard yeah. and the second we got sure. binoculars it's just like oh my gosh you can see the detail right. you can see the color there's things that so i have to say like the early ornithologists clearly had eyesight that was probably better than oh. ours in a lot of ways all oh, right i'm not sure that I... that's necessarily true but yeah without mm -hmm. binoculars it would 
wouldn't be anywhere near as fun. Learning how to yeah. use binoculars is probably something that Rex should do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, if you put the binoculars on your eyes when you're looking at the ground and then try to find a bird from something that's magnified tenfold, you just it gets really frustrating. Yeah. It's a skill. So you have yeah. to find the bird with your eyes and then put your binoculars on your eyes and yeah. then you won't have such you won't have such trouble. You could, we could we when we teach ornithology, you can always tell city kids from country kids. Uh-huh. And walking off of a cement path is one of the things, but I but the whole not looking down all the time when you walk. So if you're a bird person, you're not going to walk around looking down. So Look out. Look yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so you're not going to see that many birds on the ground. Yes. And uh, to Shannon's point, I always think like when we go birding, it's like a, a tech neck cure. Because yeah. <laughs> you're like hyperextending your neck in the other way, which is so good when we're all like looking at our phones all day or at the computer and stuff. Yeah. So, and then I wanted to, for Rex's question, like I'm really into the the Merlin photo ID part like I love like yesterday we took a picture just out of our front window and then put it into the Merlin app and you know got to learn about that bird so I that's another thing I think is so cool about the Merlin app is just you know if you can catch a picture um, it's really fun to do that yeah and then ultimately your your observations you can be part of community science programs and your observations will make a difference. You, even if it's just in your yard for a few minutes, you record the birds that you see, you put it in a public database, and they all contribute to the knowledge of birds. And so I think whatever angle you want to take, you can find your pathway uh, through birds. All right, but here's the $10,000 question. What did Rex see? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I want to know too. I, yeah, we'll have to find out now. I, I always love guessing thought it was a tanager. Yeah. So yellow under the wings. I'm going to guess it's not a tanager. Yeah. It's hard to tell size-wise what he saw, so that's another thing. Um, this time of year, I was going to guess maybe something like American Red Start because oh, they're a okay. lot moving through right now. But that's just a guess. Yeah. And, okay. and, if it's and, small. And, yeah. And tell when people to, ask us those things, I like Rex, those are the, I, I enjoy trying back. to figure those yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. Rex, write us yeah, back. Yeah, Rex, give us right. more detail. We get a lot of calls like that, Oh. you know, and random pictures sent from all over the world. Can you tell me what this is? <laughs> like, man, it's not in focus. <laughs> I don't think I can. Maybe John can. Actually, I can't even get it to bird, the bird family. So <laughs> I'm bad at this. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to stop for today. Um, John, do you want to close it out? Yeah. You know, watch your birds and, and make notes on what you see. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed our podcast, please help spread the word and also give us a follow on Instagram. We're still trying to get the word out there and would appreciate any publicity that we can get. We also want to thank Earhole Studios in Chicago for helping us record. If you have a question for John, Shannon, Amanda, and I, feel free to send it to podcast.birdsofafeather at gmail.com or reach out to us on Instagram.